So as you've heard tonight, we're starting a new series called Marked by Love. And we will be, for the next couple of weeks, we'll be working through the book of Mark, looking at the life of Jesus, what Jesus did, what he said, and what that means to people who decide to follow Jesus, how that impacts and how that influences our life. So um, who of you have seen the movie Cast Away? Cast Away. Okay, so some of you might be a little young for that. It's not that old. I think it was like 2000 or something. So if you haven't seen Castaway, there's a gap in your education and you need to study that because at any time when you're on a plane, it can randomly fall into the ocean and you can be stranded on an island for a couple of years. So that's what happened to the guy in the movie Castaway. And um, his name was Chuck. So initially, he was a FedEx deliverer guy. So he would deliver these packages to people and, and he was like really big into his job. You know, every package has to be on time. And initially it was like, you know, he's going to protect all these packages till he's saved and then he's going to do something about it. But later he started tearing them open, trying to survive. But um, poor Chuck, stranded on the island all on his own, the only company he had was someone called Wilson. And Wilson was a basketball that he drew a face on. So Wilson was his only contact with humanity. But what is interesting to me is in this movie, it becomes very clear that Chuck basically loses his mind because of the fact that he has no connections to people around him. Because there's no one to speak to him, there's no one to touch him, there's no one to care for him. And what is interesting is this doesn't only happen in a movie that could seem a little crazy, a movie like Castaway. This actually happens in real life. There is a, there's a, a syndrome called touch deprivation that leads to something called failure to thrive. Now, touch deprivation can happen to anyone, but often they measure it when they look at babies, and that's normally where they do the research, where they've seen that when a baby is touched by, by his mother and his dad often and hold and things, babies are often a lot healthier than babies like in the old days who will be taken away from the mother, put in a crib behind a glass screen, and everyone kind of has to look through the screen at the babies. So back then in the, in the early 1900s, when babies was immediately taken away from others, the, the, the um, fatality rate of children was a lot higher of babies than it is today, because now they tend to keep the babies with their parents. But it is interesting, if you go and read up a little about um, Chernobyl and the, the nuclear explosion that happened there, suddenly overnight, hundreds of thousands of children were left without parents. And there's actually been numerous studies done on those children because these children were not just put in, in orphanages. They were literally shoved into, into old factory buildings because they didn't know what to do with all these kids. And these kids had no one to clean their diapers. They had no one to properly feed them. And a friend of mine worked there often just now a couple of years ago, and they would still find these orphanages where babies and, and children would just be like 12 kids in one, in one cot. And it would just be soiled and it would be dirty and crazy. But what's interesting is that it has been studied so much of how these kids have lost, how they have failed to thrive in certain areas of their life. Emotionally, like my friend Leon told me he would get there in the factory and children would be sitting like um, in, a, in a position like this and they would just be swinging from back to front. So psychologically, stuff happens they don't develop. Physically, babies who wasn't touched develop slower than kids who were often touched. And it is sad to me that it not only happens with baby, but also with babies, but also with us as adults. 
When we don't experience physical touch, if you are like Chuck and you would be stranded on an island somewhere far away from people and you don't have connection, you don't have contact with other people, the same thing can happen to you. And what is interesting is when you don't experience enough human interaction, when, when there's a problem in your life where you are deprived of touch, your, your cortisol levels go crazy, you stress more, um, they, they say that you get anger outbursts, that you get depressed easier. But the moment there's people in your life, all of those things just goes down. And now I want you, this, is a back, but this was a bit of a background story, but now I want you for a moment to imagine this. One day you go home, you're married, you've got a wife, you've got kids, everything is going well in your life. You've got good relationships. And you go home, and when you took a shower, you saw that there was little blisters on your back. So like, man, this is weird. So you go to the priest who would look at you in, back in the day in the time of the Bible and who would basically almost act as a healer as well. And he, he would keep you overnight to make sure that you didn't have a very contagious skin disease. Okay, so you just left your wife as you would go to the hospital or something. You went to the priest. He looks at you and he's like, okay, you have to stay overnight. Next morning you wake up and there's some more blisters that didn't go away. And later those blisters starts to take over your whole body and they tell you that you have leprosy. And that you have to immediately leave the city. And that you have to go and stay out in the field. And you're like, but I want to say bye to my wife and my children. I might never see them again because leprosy is uncurable. And they're like, I, I just want to say bye to them. They're like, sorry, man, you can't because you, you can just infect the whole city. So immediately they escort him out of the city. He has to cover up his face. No one is allowed to touch him, not only for the risk of, of contracting the disease themselves, but also because in the Jewish culture, if you had contact with someone like that, you would be seen as unclean and you would not be allowed to go into the temple. So you're sitting out in the field, you don't have food, you don't have a job, you have to cover your face every time you see people, and when someone might come even close to you and you're like, man, I just wish to speak to someone or to have some kind of interaction with them, what happens? Not only do they turn away, but you are required by law to shout, unclean, unclean, so that people know that you are a risk for them. Your only hope of eating is maybe catching something in the field or your family that remembers you that might put some food outside of the city for you so that you can go and get it after they've left. People like that were plentiful in the time of Jesus. People with leprosy are not always deadly leprosy. Sometimes it was just skin diseases. But because they didn't have have advanced medicine, if anyone had symptoms that looked anything like leprosy, immediately they would just take them away. So they had hope that this leprosy could be cured because sometimes it wasn't leprosy. But if you live with a bunch of lepers out in the field, there's a good chance that you could contract it yourself as well. So this guy was deprived, that we're going to read about tonight, was deprived of any kind of touch. And can you imagine for one, for one minute what it would mean for you if you are torn away from all forms of human interaction. And maybe you're an introvert and you're like, I love that, man. Yeah, maybe for a day or two or three or four or a month. Maybe if you're like super like introverted, maybe for a year. But imagine having no contact with your family ever again. The people you care for. What can one touch mean to you? And tonight we're going to be talking our topic tonight, the first part of this series, Mock by Love, part one, is a touch of love. 
And we'll be reading from the book of Mark. We're going to read from Mark 1. We're kind of going to work through the chapters. And I want to challenge you as we work through the book of Mark in the next couple of weeks, just take your Bible this week. Maybe you've never read Bible. If you don't have a Bible, install the Bible app on your cell phone. It's in the app store. And then um, if you have a paper Bible, here's the easy way to find Mark. You just open your Bible right in the middle, and you'll be at Psalms. And if you open the second half right in the middle again, you should be at Matthew That is the first gospel in the New Testament, the first book that tells us about Jesus. Mark is the second book that tells us about the life of Jesus. But I want to challenge you as we read through Mark that you will go home this week and just read Mark chapter 1. So chapter 1 has been divided into little stories. So you will see the headings in your Bible. And I just want to challenge you to say, go out this week and read one of those headings every day. Okay? There's not even seven of them. So aim for seven, hit five, it's fine. You're going to get through it all. But tonight we're going to be reading from Mark 1 about a guy with whom happened something similar to the story I just told you. One day he got leprosy. Um, he was chased outside of the city. And this man, we have no idea how, how long he hasn't seen his family, how long he's been out in the field. It could have been days, it could have been weeks, it could have been months or even years. Because you could live anything from nine years to 30 years with leprosy. Okay, so this guy could have been there for like 10 years or 20 years. We don't know. But here is what happens in his story. Mark 1, verse 40 to 45. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, he said, you can heal me and make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I'm willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared, and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone that he could find what had happened. And as a result, as a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. That's what we're going to read tonight. This story about a man's interaction with Jesus, a man who had leprosy for, for an unnamed amount of time. It's so beautiful to me because when it starts, we have no background on this dude. But when the story starts, I read about a man who's not supposed to even approach anyone. But we read that he very eagerly and with very high expectation goes to Jesus. Now this, although it sounds like, you know, we know he's not supposed to go, but who's going to stop him anyway? In that times, the rabbis were famous, and it was recorded in history, that they would stone people who approached them that was unclean. So this guy with the leprosy, when he heard about this Jesus, he's like, I've heard that Jesus did miracles. I've heard that Jesus cured other people with leprosy and that he's driven out demons. So I'm going to go to Jesus, and maybe he can do that for me as well. But Jesus was known as a rabbi, so as a teacher. And this guy must have known that rabbis are famous for stoning people who approach them who's unclean. So with going to Jesus with all this expectation and all this excitement, he also faced the risk of being killed. But still he went to Jesus with the eagerness and the expectation. He goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, if you are willing, heal me. Do the impossible. 
And I was reading through this story about this outcast man. And I was thinking, we live in a city where there are so many people suffering from a different kind of leprosy. All around us, and some of us ourselves, we face issues in our everyday life that make us feel ashamed of other people. Maybe there's some kind of sin in your life. Maybe you've cheated on a spouse or on a partner. Maybe there is some kind of addiction that you cannot break with, and you feel so ashamed of this thing that that you weren't told to separate yourself from other people. You just did it yourself. Maybe there's something in your life that is just so impossible to face, a terminal disease or some kind of thing that you face that just feels so impossible to fix that you just decide, I'm just going to sit on my own and face this thing on my own because no one is going to understand, no one will be able to help me, so I'm just going to go through this on my own. Maybe you're just lonely. Maybe nothing in your life is like a serious issue, but you're just lonely. You're surrounded by people, but you have no real contact with other people. I think that's something that everyone who lives in Cape Town has heard or are familiar with. This man, he had this impossible to fix issue in his life. There was no doctors, there was no medicine. Even today, leprosy can't be cured completely. And he had this massive issue in his life. And this issue was not only a disease, it was not only illness, it became his identity. It became who he was. Because when we read about him, we don't read about John the leper, or we don't read about Zach the leper. We just read about the nameless leper, someone who was so important, someone who took on the identity of his crisis in his life that his name isn't even mentioned. Have you got to a point like that in your life where something is so broken, is so painful, is so messed up in your life that you just took on that identity and you decided this is who I am. I'm a cheater from now on. I'm a broken, from, a broken person from now on. I'm an addict from now on. There's no hope for me. This guy took on this identity. We don't read about his name. But this guy without an identity, this person who's not supposed to have interaction with anyone, risks his life to go to Jesus because he was hoping that maybe, maybe, Something can happen in his life. And he goes to Jesus in such a beautiful way. He goes with faith. He goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, he doesn't ask Jesus, Jesus, if, it is, if you could heal leprosy, will you heal me? Or Jesus, if it is within your power, can you do something? He says, no, I know you can heal me. But if it's your will, heal me. He goes to Jesus with complete faith. That Jesus can change the situation that he was facing in his life. But he also doesn't go with arrogance. He goes with faith, so he goes with confidence. But when he appears before Jesus, what does he do? He goes on his knees. He goes in humility before Jesus, and he doesn't command Jesus. And Jesus like, heal me. He says, Jesus, if it's within your will, do something for me. Now let me tell you, if you are a Christian, or if you've ever seen shows about Christians, or know some Christians, these are sometimes two of the issues that Christians face. Either we have no faith, or very little faith, Or we have no humility when it comes to God. And both of them will damage your relationship with God and will not get you the result that you were hoping for. 
If you have no faith, the Bible says if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, now if you go and pick up a mustard seed and you put it between your thumb and, your, and, and, and another finger, it's so small that you won't be able to, to even see it. It will just sink away in your skin. Jesus said, with that amount of faith, you can move mountains. So Jesus said, if you come to me, come with faith, come with expectation that I can do the impossible in your life. See, and we need faith because without faith, This means nothing. Without faith, this guy wouldn't have been healed. But the other interesting thing to me is that he comes with humility. And this is a thing that I think often, especially in in prosperity churches, this is something that we can fall into a trap in believing that God is like a vending machine. That if I just have enough faith and if I just pray the right prayer or, or if I just demand from God, then he will give me whatever I want. You see, but this guy doesn't go with that attitude. He doesn't go like, yeah, I know I believe, so God, you better heal me. He goes and he says, God, this is my problem, but I trust your will because I see something limited. I'm looking at this point in my life and it's falling apart and it's a mess and I haven't seen my family and people have rejected me and I wish to get out of this situation, but still I trust God that you see what I cannot see yet. He makes no demands, he just goes in humility. And with faith. And I want to tell you tonight that I think this is a place where more of us should end up. I think more of us should get to a place where we say, and by the way, whether you have been a Christian for a long time of your life, or whether you've just started to follow Jesus a while ago, or whether you're here tonight and you're like, I'm not a Christian, this is my first time in a long while in a church, I just want to check this thing out. I want to tell you, we all have something in common, and that is that we struggle to trust God. Because if you don't believe in Him, you struggle to trust Him. And if you believe in Him, we still struggle to trust Him. But I think we all need to move to a place where we are at least willing and at least say, like, I'm going to try to trust this God a little more. And why? Why do I believe Jesus is worth trusting? Why Why do I believe Jesus is worth going to with your problem, going to with your crisis, and going on your knees and say, Jesus, help me? Because this is what happens in verse 41. We read these amazing words. Jesus was moved with compassion. Those words just rock my mind. The creator of the universe comes to earth and there are millions and billions of people around. And one little guy with his issue comes to Jesus. And Jesus don't just look at him like, oh, you know, you're just one of... Of, of many. Or you're not important enough. Or you're not good enough. Jesus doesn't look at him that way. Jesus looks at him and he's moved with compassion. It means his heart breaks for this man and his issue and the fact that he hasn't seen his family and the fact that he has to live out in the field. Jesus is moved by compassion for him. And I want to tell you, if you have ever wondered in your life whether God cares about you, whether God even sees you, whether God even sees this little tiny blip on this planet that's so small that you can barely see it when you look at the Milky Way, I want to tell you, yes, Jesus cares about you, just as he has cared about this man. And whether you are facing leprosy, whether you are facing illness or a financial crisis or a problem in your marriage or in relationships or a crisis of faith, Jesus is moved with compassion for the pain that you're experiencing in your life. No matter how big or small it might be or how insignificant you might think it is or even if you think 
It's too big for God, for you to even appear before God. He is still moved with compassion for you. He cared for this one man, and he cares about you. But something amazing happens after this. Jesus looks at this man who's on his knees. And he could have just said, be healed. And that man would have been fine. Because numerous times in the New Testament, Jesus just spoke a word and people were healed. Jesus, even later in Mark, spoke a word for a daughter, for a little girl that wasn't even close to Jesus and she was healed. Her father just asked Jesus to heal him, to heal her. Jesus had no reason to get close to this man that had a risk of infecting Jesus. But what Jesus does is Jesus looks at this man, his heart breaks for him, and he reaches out and he touches him. I think he took his hand and he helped him up. Can you imagine what that one touch must must have meant to this guy? The first time that anyone has touched him in months or years. Jesus didn't have to. But he gave him back his dignity. It was a touch of love. When Jesus touched him, Jesus touched him while no one else would have touched him. And at that moment, he gave him back his self-worth. He said, you are not the disease. You are not the mistake. You are not punished by God because people believe that leprosy was a punishment from God. You are loved. And we don't read this, but when Jesus was moved by compassion, maybe Jesus like helped him up and maybe Jesus just hugged him and held him. But Jesus touched this man. And I want to tell you, one touch of love can change a life completely. Even if Jesus didn't say any other words, even if this man wasn't healed from his illness, I think that would have been enough to survive the loss of his days on earth. The fact that he got his dignity back. You see, in that moment, Jesus crossed a boundary that society placed there. And society has this way to stigmatize people who's different. People who might be ill or people who might be different. People who who might look different than you. We, We do it ourselves. We create these boundaries in our life because this person is a different color than me or a different language or a different tribe or it's from a different country. We create barriers because they look different to me or they speak differently. Or they do things that I wouldn't do. Or we create a barrier because they are not Christian. Or they're not Hindu. Or they're not whatever you might be. We create these barriers in our lives. And we're like, you stand that side. You're the leper. I will stand this side. And I'm all good. And I'm, I'm cool on my own. You see, Jesus stepped over that barrier. And Jesus reached out to this man. And he helped him up. And he said, you're part of a family now. And I want to tell you, if you're part of this church, this is a challenge that I want to give you. If the church doesn't love people who's pushed out by society, who will love them? If we cannot love people who's outcast, if we cannot love the homeless people, if we cannot love the poor, if we cannot love the rich, if we cannot love the lonely, if we cannot love the gay people, if we cannot love people who are full of sin and who's alcoholics and people who are drug addicts and people who are broken, and, and if we can't love children and old people, and if we can't love people, who will love them? So Jesus stepped over that barrier to love people who seemed unlovable. And that's a challenge for us as a church as well. 
to reach across a boundary and take someone's hand. What is amazing to me is what happened after this, after Jesus touched him. Jesus spoke a word and he said, I will. You ask me if I will heal you, I will. Your faith is so beautiful to me. Your pain touches my heart so deeply that I will heal you. And immediately the man was healed. Immediately what seemed impossible to him became a possibility, became a reality. Jesus restored his dignity when he touched him. Jesus restored his health when he spoke those words. And Jesus even restored his social standing. Jesus could have just said, like, dude, you're healed. Like, go back to your family. But Jesus is like, no, no. Go back to the priests. And take the little doves with you that they're going to use in this ritual to say that you're clean. And go and show them to you so that this is a public declaration. So that all the people who rejected you, so that everyone who didn't care about you, that they can see that you are healthy. You see, Jesus doesn't just heal us in one area of our lives. He heals us in every area of our life. And Jesus healed this man. He restored his dignity. He restored his social standing. He turned this death sentence to life. He turned this man, his sickness to health. He turned the chaos in his life, the chaos in his family, back to order. He turned the darkness that he was facing back to light. He, t- he, he changed brokenness and he repaired it. Jesus restored this man's life. And that is why I believe Jesus is worthy of us following him. Because nowhere else on earth will you get anyone who can do the impossible for you. Because the very word impossible means that it is not possible. And if you are facing a situation in life, no matter how big or small, and you've tried everything to fix it, and you've gone to doctors, and you've gone to psychologists, and you've gone to drug rehab, or you've gone to your own heart, and you've gone to all kinds of books, and you've gone to the universe, and you've gone to all kinds of religious things, and spirituality, and still there is no hope for you, I want to tell you there is hope. And hope has a name. His name is Jesus. But you can hear about Jesus tonight and still not experience restoration in your life. You see, the world was full of people, full of lepers, full of broken people, full of people who were ill and people who were all kinds of ugly religious leaders back in the day who who heard about Jesus, who heard about the miracles Jesus did, who heard about the preaching that Jesus gave, who maybe even witnessed some of it themselves. But still there were many people who didn't experience the restoration that Jesus brings. In fact, some of the people who saw the miracles of Jesus, some of them who heard Jesus speak at the end of the day crucified him. And I want to tell you today, I can talk about Jesus till I'm blue. But you have to experience his touch in your own life before your life will truly change. You see, our faith 
is not just a religion where you do certain things and then your relationship, you hope that you've got a relationship with a God and you hope that one day if you die, you, you know where you're going. No, we don't just have a religion where we do certain things because we have to. Christianity is about a personal relationship with Jesus. Yes, we go to church. Yes, we do certain religious acts because that's the way we worship God. But at the end of the day, Christianity is no, about knowing Jesus, about having that personal relationship, about going on your knees before him and saying, Jesus, all I long for is a touch from you. That's what it is about. So I want to challenge you today, and I want to say, don't just stay in a place where you continue to hear about Jesus, but never experience His touch in your life. This man, after he was healed, Jesus commanded him and said, tell no one about this. And for years, theologians, for centuries, theologians have been asking this question, why did Jesus tell him to not tell everyone else? One of the theories, Jesus didn't want him to be stopped on his way to the priest because Jesus wanted him to be officially declared clean. One of the other theories is that Jesus didn't want people what happened at the end. So many people heard about this and they overwhelmed Jesus that he couldn't even go into a city because there was just too many people who was all over Jesus. We don't know what the reason was. But what is interesting to me is this guy disobeys this command and he just goes out and he tells everyone he can see. Now let me tell you, if there was a death sentence around your neck, and you've been little Chuck from, or big Chuck, from, from Castaway, and you lost your only Wilson friend, and then suddenly someone like Jesus comes along and he restores everything in your life, no matter what people do, no matter what people say, no matter what other circumstances crosses your path, you will not be able to keep quiet about it. You see, this guy didn't share something that he learned about. This guy shared a personal story with passion and with gratitude, a story of how Jesus changed his life. And this should be the role of the church in, in, in the world as well. This should be the role of Prodeo Church in the city of Cape Town. When I'm one and a half years old and God has done amazing things here, but we cannot just hear about it. We need to experience it and we need to go out and we need to share it with everyone we see. But it will only happen if your own life changed dramatically. So I want to challenge you tonight. I want to tell you that one touch of love can change a life completely. That touch of love that Jesus gave that leper changed his life, changed the direction of his life, changed the purpose of his life forever. And the touch of Jesus in your life can change your purpose, can change your direction, can change your illness, can change your challenges forever as well. So we said we're going to look in this series at the life of Jesus and of what, who is this Jesus? What did he do? And what does that mean for us? So tonight, what does this mean for you if you decide that, that you're going to give this thing a try? First, if you haven't done so yet, you need to approach Jesus with eagerness and with humility and expectation. If you're like, no, I don't know how to do it. It's simple. Follow the example of that man. Go on your knees and tell Jesus that you need a Savior. And invite him to be that savior. That's where it starts, on your knees. You need to approach Jesus for healing in your life or a touch. You need to approach him for the impossible in your life. And don't wait. There was a bunch of people probably around this leper that also had leprosy, but that was never healed because they never went to Jesus. 
Don't be the leper who's never healed because you waited too long. That's the first one. Go to Jesus. The second challenge I want to give you is be willing to reach across a boundary. There's so many boundaries in our world. And the devil will use anything he can to separate people, to create, to create just like, to just pull people apart. God is about bringing people back together, restoring relationships. I want to challenge you to reach across a boundary, to reach out to someone who might not know Jesus yet, to reach out to someone who's a different color or a different language or a different color to you, to reach out to someone, and it might be uncomfortable, but I want to tell you tonight, if you reach across that boundary, you don't need to do a miracle to change their life. You don't need to do a miracle to be their friend. All you need to do is that first step that Jesus did, and that's to touch someone. By shaking someone's hand or giving someone a shoulder to cry on when the heart is broken or cooking someone a meal when for some reason they couldn't because someone in the family is ill or by visiting someone in hospital who is ill or by giving food to someone who can't afford to buy food or whatever, that can be a miracle in the life. Just reach across the boundary. And the third thing, start to share what Jesus has done for you. People always ask me, like, I don't know how to share my faith. Simple. You walk out of here and you tell someone what you heard tonight. You walk out of here and if Jesus moved something in your spirit tonight, you go and share that. If you've given your life to him, you go and share that. If he has healed you, you go and share that. If he has restored something in your life, you go and tell people about that. That's how simple it is. But don't keep it for yourself. So practice Jesus' love this week. Approach him. Kneel before him. Be willing to reach across a boundary and share what he has done for you. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for the amazing example that you gave us. The couple of years that you spent on earth. And I just want to follow in your footsteps as best as I can. And thank you tonight, Jesus, that we may know that although we're not perfect, and although all our docks are not in a row, and although there's so much brokenness in our lives, that you have compassion for us. I pray for every person here who hasn't had the opportunity to kneel before you yet. And I pray, Jesus, that you would move them in their spirit, that you would reach out to them. So that every knee here can, can bow before you. May we go out this week, Lord, and be your hands and feet. May we reach across a boundary. And may we share the love of Jesus that has changed our lives. We pray it in your name. Amen.